Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Go For It. I am your host, Paul Gant. For the next hour, we're going to be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646 727 3070 That's 646 727 3070 You can listen to the show, blogtalkradio.com. You can send messages to the show on Twitter at Go For It. And while you're there on Twitter, Give me a follow at Go For It Again. Great show. Lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by one of the stars of Tyler Perry's hit show, If Loving You Was Wrong, actor Joe Rush. He'll be joining us. We're going to talk about the show. It's a highly rated show on own, and it's doing big-time ratings. So we're going to talk to uh, actor Joe Rush about it. Also, we're going to be joined by head, uh, excuse me, assistant, Basketball coach for Rider University, Marlon Guild, get his take on what is going on in NCAA tournament March Madness. It is hot, it is heavy, and it's been mad. It's it, it been crazy, especially what we saw just about an hour ago. Michigan State, everybody's favorite. Everybody's favorite, Michigan State. You know, everybody's talking about Michigan State. They're going to win it all. They're going to do it all. You know, big time. Valentine's going to put up some big time numbers. You know, Tom Mizzo's a big time coach, and this team is big time in the tournament. It has been big time in the tournament over the years. I mean, a lot of people were talking about, you know what? This should be a number one seed. This is a number one seed. Forget Virginia. This team should be a number one seeded team. This is a number one seeded team. They should be a number one seed in the Midwest, not Virginia. And that's all you heard after the selection show. All you heard was everybody and their mama, Michigan State, Michigan State, Michigan State, Michigan State. And now, if you have Michigan State in your bracket, winning it all, it's blown up. There's been some some bracket, bracket busting Games over the past two days, you know, obviously Middle Tennessee State getting it done, Hawaii beating Cal, Yale getting it done against Baylor, you know, Arkansas State against Purdue. So you're seeing that the big guys, the big teams go down, and we saw it today. And that's the beauty of the NCAA tournament. That's what makes March Madness so special. That's what makes it so great. Granted, I'm a I'm an NBA guy. You know, I, I like the NBA play, playoffs better than the NCAA tournament. That's just me. But here's the thing: the beauty of March Madness is there's a you you can see 15s beating a two. You can see it. Well, we never see a 16 beat a one. And, and I'm not saying it happens all the time where a 15 beats a two. But it doesn't. It, it rarely happens in the NBA where an eight seed beats a one seed. I think it's happened only two times. It's rare, so rare. So when you when and so in the NBA playoffs, more often than not, the best team wins. The beauty of the NCAA tournament is the best team doesn't always win. Michigan State is probably better than Middle Tennessee State, but when you shoot eleven from nineteen for downtown, like Middle Middle Tennessee State did, that helps fifty six percent from downtown especially in a one-game situation, that helps. And you look at a Michigan State team that gave up 90 points, and this was a a team that defended very, very well. And, you know, they were 11th in the nation in three-point shooting defense. And so now you, you look at what Middle Tennessee State did. They go in there and they shoot 11 for 19, over 50%. And so when you shoot those type of numbers from downtown, 
your chances of winning a basketball game increase. And that's what we saw. We, we, we saw Middle Tennessee State shoot the basketball, and guess what? They led wire to wire. They, they, they led wire to wire. So they came out and they took it to Michigan State, and they kept it going throughout the course of the basketball game. You know, they went out and they, they came out and they got it done from the beginning all the way to the end. And when you do what they did and when you shoot the ball the way they shot it, you got a good chance to win. Michigan State didn't defend. They did not defend the way they normally do. And it cost them. They, they just didn't play a Michigan State-type game. They didn't play a Michigan State-type game. And when, and when you don't do that, when you don't do that in this tournament, you could be out right away. You could be gone. It could be here today, gone tomorrow. And Michigan State was here, and now they're gone. Michigan State was a number two seed, and now they're gone. Michigan State, a favorite, everyone's darling, is now gone. That's the beauty of the NCAA tournament. At any moment, at any time, and when teams play a, a, a perfect game, if you will, anything can happen, and it happens. You can go back. Let's go back to Georgetown Villanova, what, close to 70%, 70% Villanova shot in that 85 championship game? I mean, you shoot those kind of crazy percentages in a game, your chances of winning a basketball game increase big time. And, you know, and, and again, the three-point shot is the ultimate equalizer. And when you're able to shoot it at a, such a high percentage, 56%, your chances of winning a ball game are good. They're good. And when you come out the way Michigan State did flat, especially on the defensive side of the ball, when you come out flat, you can go home. You can come home. Go home. So it's the eighth time that a 15 has beat a two in NCAA history. And, I mean, it's, it's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. And that's why. We love the NCAA tournament, and that's why the first two days. So you can say the first four days as well, but those first two are, are, are pretty cool because you know you always had the possibilities of a 16 beating a one, of a of a of a 15 beating a two, maybe a 14 beating a three. You know you, you have those possibilities. I would say 12 and five, but at this point, 12 and five. You also have 13 and four, obviously. But when you say 12 and five, the 12 and five has been watered down over the years. You know, the, the 12 has been getting some victories over the five over the years. And when you saw, you know, Yale getting it done, and then you see, you know, that that was fun. That was fun. It, it, it's fun, man. We, it's fun watching the Cinderella do what the Cinderella's doing. It, it's fun watching Cinderella put on that glass slipper. It's fun. That's fun, man. That is fun. And so when you see that, it's exciting. It's exciting. And so everybody moving forward, when you fill out your bracket, when you do it, always pick the 12 seed. If you're looking for upsets, pick the 12. Pick the 12. Because if you pick the 12, you always have a good shot. History has tell has told you over the years that a 12 will beat a 5. A 12 will beat a 5 in the NCAA tournament. History tells you that that's going to happen. And so history is on your side. So moving forward, people are going to be picking 12s over 5s. Probably did it this year. They probably did it this year. But history tells you that you got a good shot when the 12 is against the 5. Heck, 35. 0.4% winning percentage in the first round. It's happened. The, the 12 has knocked out the 5 now in 28 of the past 32 tournaments. 
That's good. That's pretty good. So 28 out of the past 32 tournaments, that close to what, 80, 90%? The 12 has beaten the 5. And the 12 has a 35.4% winning percentage against the 5. So moving forward, when you fill out your bracket, make sure you have a 12 beating a 5 somewhere because it's bound to happen. Let's bring in a guy now who's been watching the madness over the past two days, a basketball junkie, if you will, Ryder University assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill. Marlon. Hey, Paul. How you doing, man? How are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. How about yourself? Oh, can't complain. Thanks for joining us. Nah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. Marlon, let's get down to what we just saw about an hour ago. Michigan State, Middle Tennessee State, Middle Tennessee State leading from the beginning to the end, shooting 56% from downtown. The 15 beat the two. Everybody's favorite Michigan State goes down. Your thoughts on what you saw there? Uh, well, it, it was my favorite to go down to. So, you know, my, my brackets are done. Uh, l- luckily, the NCAA has rules say that we can't bet on uh, our brackets. And good thing I didn't because I would have lost a lot of money. Um, For sure. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you know what, man? I, I think uh, Middle Tennessee State beating Michigan State today, it, it's a surprise and, and no, it isn't. Um, you know, you hit the number right on the head. Middle Tennessee State's three-point shooting percentage is unbelievable. And if you look at uh, their roster, they have four guys that average 12 points or more. That's a lot of points, you know, between four guys. Uh, And, you know, Potts was unbelievable today from three. uh, To a lot of people, you know, that's probably a guy that you – don't know about, but I guarantee you he was on Michigan State's scouting report heavy. Uh, he leads the country in three-point shooting percentage. So for him to go three, three or five, I think, is what he went today from three is not uncommon. Uh, I guarantee if you ask other teams in Conference USA where Middle Tennessee State plays, they know who Giddy Potts is, and they know the rest of those guys. Uh, Upshaw was unbelievable. Um, the, the one thing I think that caught Michigan State by surprise is in their in the Big Ten and those upper echelon leagues, you see guys that are six eight, six nine, six ten. They're usually playing in the paint. Well, Middle Tennessee State does doesn't go just the opposite. They're very perimeter oriented. I mean, Upshaw was three or five from three as well. So now you're asking big guys on Michigan State like Costello to come out on the perimeter where they're not used to guarding. And, you know, that that makes things a little uneasy for them. And as time goes on and, you know, nerves start kicking in and, you know, you're not beating the team like you're supposed to beat them and, and their shots are falling and they start playing with more confidence, you know, I, I think that's what we saw today in that Michigan State, Middle Tennessee State game. And, you know, hats off to Kermit Davis. He's a very good coach. Uh, you know, Middle Tennessee State's a very good team, and they won 23, 24 games this year. They they weren't any slouches. And, um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how they're doing the second round and moving forward. Is it possible that they could get to the Sweet 16? Believe that Syracuse next. Uh, you, you know what? It, it is possible because you, you look at, you know, there were a lot of people that didn't think Syracuse should be in the NCAA tournament. And, uh, you know, they did what they had to do today against Dayton, uh, you know, and, and Jim Beheim's great. you got to love his response today when I think someone asked him, hey, what, what do you say to the people that think that you shouldn't be here? And his line was great. Well, they must not know basketball. And, you know, in typical Jim Beheim fashion. So, you know, it, it'll be a, a, a great game. Uh, and I think, you know, the way Syracuse plays – fits Middle Tennessee State that game a little better than Michigan State. You know, with Syracuse, their bigs are athletic, long, and uh, can move around guarding the perimeter. You know, guys like Roberson and, and, and so forth. So, 
Uh, now, Coleman can't for Syracuse, but, you know, I, I think uh, with their zone, you know, and, and the length that they have on their zone, you know, it'll be an interesting matchup for both teams. Now, we, we've seen throughout the course of this tournament, as I said over the years, you know, we, we've seen the 12 beat the 5. We saw yesterday Yale beating Baylor, you know, Arkansas, Little Rock beating Purdue. I mean, at this point, should we be surprised when the 12 beats the 5 moving forward? Uh, I, I think moving forward, if you're a 5 seed, you should always want to try to move up or move down. That that, that okay. five seed is cursed, man. Uh, it, it seems like, but um, you know, going back to Little Rock uh, yesterday, I, I think what you start to see now, man, are the guys at, at these mid-major and low-major programs that can really coach. You know, a guy like Chris Beard that's put a lot of work in to his craft, and now he's reaping the rewards of that of winning his conference tournament and going off and knocking up Purdue. You know, I, I guarantee you before this tournament started, 75% or maybe even more of America didn't know who Chris Beard was. I guarantee that right. they know who he is now, and I'm sure there's some ADs out there that know who he is and probably give him a call once uh, Little Rock's done. You, you know, so it, it, it's one of those things. And with James Jones at, at Yale, it's the same thing. Uh, you know, I, I thought the Baylor-Yale game was the ultimate 5-12 game that wouldn't be an upset. Uh, you know, and, and this is no knock on Baylor, but, you know, the way they play, it's a little little unorthodox. You know, it, it looks like the inmates are running the asylum a little bit, and, and we saw that a little bit yesterday, uh, you know, with Torian Prince and, and Gathers getting into it on, on the bench, and Yale was able to capitalize off that and, you know, made shots. And, you know, I think with, with the NCAA tournament, man, it's it's one of those things where, it's one and done. It's not like the regular season where you can keep playing. And once those lower seed teams start making shots and those higher-level teams start to get a little uneasy, you got yourself a ball game. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much how it's been uh, this whole tournament so, so far. You know, you've had your blowouts here and there, but for the most part, games have been close. I mean, I, I just watched South Dakota State almost knock off Maryland. Um, you know, so you start to see a lot of parities in, in college basketball, and the, I think it's just good overall for the game, man. Uh, people want to see exciting games, close games, and, you know, the way the parity is going within college basketball, hopefully we can see that some more. We're talking to Ryder University assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill. Is the parity a byproduct of the one and done? Is, is that why we have so much parity in college basketball? Uh, I, I think you're seeing that, uh, the, the one and done a, a little bit. Uh, you know, you're also seeing guys that went the JUCO route that, uh, you know, that, that Middle Tennessee State, for example, they have a young man by the name of Perrin Buford. I recruited Perrin Buford. I thought he was a pretty good player and, you know, had a good game today. Uh, and, and this is a guy that, you know, probably coming out of high school, probably didn't have the, the name or recognition of, of other guys, but worked on his game, and, and he's a little older now. And, you know, now you're seeing mid-major programs, you know, go that route and get guys that stay for four years or have experience compared to these high-major programs that are losing uh, the, the one-and-done guys. And, you know, it, it's opening up a whole can of worms, man, where anybody can, can beat anybody. But, you know, I, I also think it goes back to, who's really working on their game. Uh, you know, it, it's something, it's a conversation you and I have had before, man. Growing up, we didn't have, uh, everybody wants to go to the gym and go work out now. I, I didn't know what a gym was. I just went to the park to go work out. So you, you, now you can actually tell the guys that are working on their game and the guys who aren't, you know. And, and there's a, a big saying in basketball now, bring your name or bring your game and not your name. And, you're starting to see some of these guys with names. They're not as good as, you know, we thought they were. And other guys are putting in the work and surpassing these guys. And, you know, it's just making for good basketball, I, I think. For sure. And, then, and like we said, thus far this tournament has been very good, has been very, very exciting. I, I want to ask you this now, and it's something we've never seen before. And, obviously, we only have one more chance for it actually to happen. We have uh, Oregon uh, tonight. 
playing uh, number 16 seeded Holy Cross. But at the end of the day, will we ever see a 16 beat a one? Uh, I mean, it's been close. (laughs) Uh, I I don't. I don't want to shoot a 16 seed now, especially with Holy Cross playing tonight. Uh, I know a couple guys over here on the Holy Cross staff, but uh, I don't think that run ends tonight. Uh, <laughs> I, I think Oregon is a is a very good team, uh, well deserving of their number one seed. And you know, I, the reason why I don't think you'll see that 16 really be the one. It's not because you have to play in game. Now Holy Cross okay. had to had to play Southern, I believe. It, it they played the other night in, in the playing game. So now you're starting to see those man where you gotta you get the call on a Sunday of where you're going, and now you gotta go play on a Tuesday, and then after Tuesday you have to get right back on a plane to go fly again, and you know try to gear up for another game with this kind of magnitude. It, it's tough. Um, you know, and, and and a team like Holy Cross's uh, case, you know, they weren't picked high in their conference. Now, all it takes is one good weekend to get things going, which they had uh, for their conference tournament, but it'll be tough for them tonight. You know, Oregon's just – Oregon's good from top to bottom, man. It, a lot of people haven't had a chance to see them because they are on the West Coast, but, you know, they, they were – they were kings of the Pac-12, man, and um, you know I could see them. I could see that one being early, uh, over early, excuse me, uh, against Holy okay. Cross. And uh, but to go back to your question, I can't see a 16 being a one unless it's Rider University at some point. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, Pac-12 has had some issues, had some struggles thus far in this tournament, so anything is possible. But I, to your point, I don't, I don't see it happening at least. Not this year, but it would be fun if it does happen, when it does happen, because eventually it will happen. I don't know when, but eventually it has to happen over time. I mean, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, maybe Ryder University could be the first to do it <laughs> <laughs> next year. <laughs> well, you know what, man? Uh, I, I'll say this. Um, you know, I have been fortunate to get to an NCAA tournament uh Luckily, it wasn't as a 16 seed. I think we were, when I was at St. Peter's, we were 14 seed. Either 14 or 13, I, I forget offhand. And, um, you know, uh, another reason why I think these programs, you know, 16s won't be able to be a one. I'm just going off my personal experience, man. When we went to the NCAA tournament in 2011 to play Purdue, uh, we were all caught up in the moment. And I know you, you try not to do that, but it, it's hard. You, you're playing in front of twenty, thirty thousand. When you know the gym that you play in on an everyday basis, you probably only get a thousand, if that. Um, so you know, sure. the lights are bright. You, you're, all the cameras are in your face. The press conferences are different. You know, it, it's nothing you've ever seen before. And I know for us, by the time we looked up at the score against Purdue, man, we were down 17. And, you know, those guys, they had good players. You know, Robbie Hummel, Juwan Johnson, each one more. You know, like you kind of get upset that you lost the game, but then you look across. Those guys had three pros that day. Uh, or, excuse me, two. Hummel didn't play that year because he tore his ACL. But, um, you know, I, I think that's another reason that makes it hard for a lower seed to really beat those upper echelon teams because right. – those teams are playing in front of those crowds on an every night basis, you know, and, and they're able to overcome that kind of stuff where, you know, the mid to low major guys, it's like, wow, you know, we're happy to be here. And by the time you keep going, the game's probably over, you know. And, and, and I remember that game, actually, because I, I remember watching that game. And, I, and as I was watching the game, I, you guys had some – I remember you guys having opportunities in that game to get back into it, but it was just like you guys – if I remember correctly, it's like you guys could not hit your shots. For whatever reason, you guys had a hard time making shots. And if you guys would have made a few more shots, maybe you had a better opportunity. But who knows? Well, you I, know what? I, You're better than me, man, because I don't remember anything at all. All I remember was <laughs> looking up at the score and we were down 17. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're better than me, though. I, I appreciate okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to Ryder University assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill. So, Marlon, moving forward now, obviously – the tournament is shaping up. We're, we're almost through day two. We're about to hit the weekend and, and beyond. Uh, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you said your bracket is all busted up at this point. Is there a team that you're, like, pointing to that's, that you're saying, you know what, this team is peaking at the right time, this team is playing some big-time basketball at the right time, and this team has the ability to get it done and ultimately win a championship? Is there a team that you're pointing to at this point? Uh, you know what, man? It, I, I would go. It might be two teams, and, and I, I'll explain to you why. One, I, I'll start with uh, with UConn. Um, you know that run that they had through their conference tournaments. You know it, it was very reminiscent of their 2014 run uh, with Kevin Ollie's first year. Uh, you know the way they played in, in their conference tournament. You know it was some luck with Jalen Adams hitting that long shot three-pointer to uh, send it into another overtime against Cincinnati. And then I watched them yesterday. It was almost like a tale of two halves in their game against Colorado, where Colorado got anything they wanted in the first half, you know, with throwing the ball into the big fella, Scott, that that they had. And in the second half, it was totally different. You know, UConn turned up their defense. Uh, Scott wasn't able to post up as much for Colorado and, and score in the paint. And by the time you look at it, you know, UConn's up 10 after being down 10 at, at halftime. Uh, and I think their confidence is going through the roof right now. Uh, you know, it, it'll be a big game for them come tomorrow. Uh, if they can get past Duke, uh, I believe it, it is that they're playing. Uh, Kansas. You know, so I, oh, Kansas, excuse me, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh be, be a great game for them. Uh, you know, if they can match Kansas' physicality, That'll be the question for that game. But if they can get past Kansas, you know, I, I think you got to look at the Huskies a little bit. And uh, I even go with Maryland, man. Uh, I, I watched them all year. Uh, we played them earlier in the year. Should have won the game. You know, got hosed by the ref at the end. But, you know, sometimes that, that's how it goes. I'll leave it at that. Uh, but I, I think they have all the pieces in place, you know, with Trimble as a point guard, I'm a big Robert Carter fan. And uh, I look at a guy like Rashid Suleiman, who he leads by example. Uh, you know, probably doesn't have the best stats on the team, but watching those guys play this year when we played against them, when he spoke, everybody listened. And, and you need that kind of leadership during uh, this time of the year because every game, won't be easy. He'll be battle tested like they were tonight against South Dakota State, and, and he was able to make the big play down the stretch. So you know, I, I look at UConn and, and Maryland as being two teams that can really, you know, turn this thing up a little bit and uh, try to make a run. Now let me ask you this: Now we we tournaments going on now, but the NBA draft is around the corner. Ben Simmons, uh, you know, LSU ultimately did not make the tournament decided not to play in the NIT, so his college career is over. We still got Brandon Ingram. He's still going on for Duke. You're an NBA GM. You have an opportunity to pick one of these two guys. Where do you go? Uh, oh, man. For me, I'm actually going to go with Brandon Ingram, man. Uh, okay. And, and the reason why I say that, you know, I, I've been a Brandon Ingram fan from the first day I, I saw him, I saw Brandon Ingram about four years ago in a gym in Atlanta at an AAU tournament. And uh, at this particular facility, there were nine basketball courts uh, with games going on all at the same time. And, you know, the better players were playing on courts one, two, three, so on and so on. Brandon Ingram was on court nine with his AAU team playing against another team. And I remember watching this kid and just saying, wow, maybe I should try to recruit him, which I did. And then I ended up giving him a phone call. He was actually playing on Jerry Stackhouse's AAU team. And I ended up uh, giving a phone call. So I believe it was, it might've been one of his coaches. It wasn't him because uh, he was still young at the time. And just asking like, Hey, well, I didn't know he was young. I should say just asking like, Hey, 
saw the Brandon Ingram kid, what can you tell me about him? And they said, uh, Coach, he's only a sophomore in high school, just turning a sophomore, going into a sophomore year. And I just looked at him and I said, you know what, I got no shot at that kid. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> watching his progression, man, uh, as he's gotten older, I, I think he can be equivalent to the next Kevin Durant because he can do so much on the basketball court. Now, there's still things that he has to work on. He has to get stronger, uh, be able to take the physicality of the college game and even the pro game. Uh, but I, I think going forward, man, like I, I would I would take Ingram. And that's no knock on Ben Simmons. Uh, can't go wrong with either one of those guys. Uh, I, I just think the upside for Brandon Ingram might be a little higher. You so say you believe the upside is higher for Ingram over the, over Simmons at this point? Yeah, yeah, because you know if you look at Ben Simmons's game, you know he does a little bit of everything, but the one thing he can't do is really shoot the basketball, and that, that's a lost art uh, in the game at, at all three levels: high school, college, and the NBA. I, I think. Uh, so now it makes it easier for defenses to play him. You know, it's like, okay, we'll just play off. Let, let's space off him and let's see if he can make a shot. You know, I know we know he can get by us, you know, with his handle. He's got the upper body strength to bump us off and get to the basket. He can rebound. He can pass the ball. But he can't shoot. You know, whereas Brandon Ingram, I've seen Brandon Ingram make threes. I, I've seen him make dribble pull-ups. And now that forces the defense to play a little uh, closer to him, which now he can go around you. You know, and, and like I said, once he gets a little stronger, now that going around you turns into dunks rather than just being floaters. So, you know, I mean, that, that's I, why. I'm sorry, go ahead. That, that's the, no, I mean, that's I, I, I see exactly what you're saying when it comes to Brandon Ingram and what he brings to the table. But I'm thinking just from the standpoint, who has the best? And I know, you know, you, you see a Kevin Durant when you look at uh, a Brandon Ingram. But when you look at Ben Simmons, you see a guy who has the potential to be a superstar caliber player. And I know at this point he's not a great shooter. But he can get better in that area. I'm not, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you see a guy 6'10", can do all the things that he can do, you know, the passing, everything. Ugh. I mean, I, I, if, if I'll, 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 I'll give it to you like this, and, and this is no knock on him. I look at Ben Simmons as Vince Carter. I look at Brandon Ingram as Paul Pierce. When it's all, all right. said and done, Paul Pierce has got more championships than uh, Vince Carter. So is, is it a more of a mentality thing? Uh, I think so. I, I think so, okay. but you, you know what? I, and I don't even know if I can blame Ben Simmons for that. Uh, I, I think it's something that I, I hate overall. You know, like I, I watch kids today, and you know, even my own players do it. You know, they, they're friendly with guys on other teams, and you know, or you look on social media and just like, hey, shout out to my big bro, such and such, that just had a good game. I never did any of that. You know, and not to say that Ben Simmons is like that, but it's just all the new, all these kids today in general. Everybody's friendly with one another, and yeah, you see it in the NBA as well. Uh, you, you know, with LeBron and, and D Wade and Carmelo and Chris Paul and all right. those guys. That I don't know if we know how to differentiate the two. Uh, you know, you, you look at Magic and Isaiah back in the day. They would give each other that kiss on the cheek, and then uh, they would go down the lane, and Magic would put him on his butt. Right. It, you know, I, I think today's kids, they're, they're just that way. Rarely do you see a kid have what we call the Kobe, you know, the killer. Uh, right. and, and I think that's what's holding Ben Simmons back a, a little bit, that killer, where I've seen Brandon Ingram show me a little bit of that killer, that game that they played against North Carolina – at Carolina, uh, the performance that he and Grayson Allen put on was top-notch and, and, you know, it was just the mentality of, hey, I have to go and dominate this game. I have to put my will on this game. And that's something that I don't think we've seen from, from Ben Simmons yet. If you're a GM, 
can you pass, you have the number one pick, can you pass up on the possibilities of Ben Simmons? You know, the the magic comparison, the 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 the, the, the passing, the the do it all type of stuff that he brings to the table. Can you, as a GM, really pass on that? I, I think. I don't you know can. if you can. You think you can? I, I, I think you can. Uh, okay. You know because Greg Oden, the year Greg Oden came out. True. He, he was he was a quote unquote can't miss, and not saying Ben Simmons is not Greg Oden, uh, and in no shape or form am I saying that. But you know, Portland had a chance to take a Kevin Durant. And they did. Uh, and, and it all goes to what team gets the first pick and what they need. Uh, you know, we can't forget that part either. Uh, sure. If a guy that, that that needs a wing that can score, then you might go with Ingram. Or is it a guy that, you know, you want to build a team around and, and really use your, your marketing team to, you know, promote this guy, promote your franchise, then you go with Ben Simmons. You know, so all those things would factor in, but you know, I think you could take a pass on, on Simmons and take right. Brandon Ingram. Uh, what I would do, if I'm a GM at a let's say a mid a playoff team, let's just go with a playoff team. I would trade up to try and get Brandon Ingram and bring him along slow because by his second third year, he'll be a stud, no doubt about it in my mind. And, and you know, honestly, the, the kind of, at, at this point, the, the more I watch Ben Simmons, at this stage of his his development, I kind of see the Greek freak. You know, the, the same type of Greek freak. Uh, I can Jonas. You know, he can't shoot too well. He's not a great shooter, but he can do a lot of other parts of the game. He, he can definitely drive to the basket. He's very athletic. So at this point in his development, I kind of see the Greek freak in Ben Simmons. Agree? Disagree? Uh. You know what I, I would I would say Ben's a little a little bit ahead of uh, the Greek freak just off the standpoint of he's bigger and when he is driving that basketball you can't stop him you know it's not LeBron esque where he's just trucking you over but you know when he uses angles driving left or right and you try to square him up and, and body him to the basket, you're getting bumped off, and he's going to get the score and maybe even an and one. Uh, you know, with with Giannis, I, I don't know if, if you have that yet. Um, okay. So I, I would probably take Ben over Giannis right now, and, and you know, with that comparison. I, I think he's a little better. Okay. All right. So, I mean, we'll, it, it should be fun over the next few months to see what, first of all, see what team gets the number one pick. Hopefully it's the Sixers. And then from there, to be interested <laughs> to see, you know, how that whole situation works out and who they decide to go with. That should be fun, man. And, I, and, and I'm looking forward. Before we get out of here, we got Carmelo Anthony saying, you know what, maybe I made a mistake by re-upping with the New York Knicks. And actually I could have told him that when he did it. Because the New York Knicks are rebuilding, and you know, I think everybody sees that. I mean, but at the end of the day, Melo decided to take money over wins, and you know, that's life. It's a trade-off. But are, are you surprised by Melo's comments? I'm not surprised, but I'm actually going to say this: I got some T-shirts going on sale actually tomorrow, and okay. it's, has, it's hashtag Bring Back Pat. We, we we need a new regime. I, I'm tired of this Phil Jackson regime, this triangle stuff. No, man, it, we, we don't do triangles in, in New York City, man. We got to open up the floor, uh, just bring in a whole new staff, man. Bring back Patrick Ewing as your head coach. I honestly feel bad for Carmelo because he did the right thing. You, you know, when he could have left, he was loyal, but, you know, it goes back to, a line that I truly believe from time to time, loyalty can sometimes get you fired. And in his case, you know, him being loyal to the franchise and what have they done for him? They haven't done anything. You know, uh, yeah, you have uh, Porzingis, who's great, 
uh, and it, it still baffles me why Jose Calderon and Sasha Vujicic still play. <laughs> I, I I don't know if they have some kind of photo that they were holding over Phil Jackson, holding over Derek Fisher. I have no idea. But uh, you, you're slowing up the growth on a guy like Jerry and Grant, I, I believe. Uh, you know, Langston Galloway is another guy that I think just needs to play. Sometimes you got to let these guys figure these things out on the court rather than sitting down. Um, you know, but the Knicks, man, like, I, I can't. So these T-shirts are going on sale tomorrow. Uh, hashtag bring back Pat and, and we just need a whole new regime in, in New York, man, because I, I feel bad for Carmelo because he did everything right, said the right things. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it's almost like the the bully in, in school, man. You, you see him every day. He comes by, mushes you in the head, and then keeps walking. Well, eventually <laughs> you're going to snap and, and hit the bully back, and he's going to fall. You know, and I, I think the front office is like the big bully, and Carmelo is like the kid that – He's tired of getting mushed in the head, man, and and I I can't say I fault him at all. So we'll see, we'll see what happens moving forward. You wonder if Melo at some point will demand a trade. Should be interesting to see what's in store for the New York Knicks over the summer. Marlon, pleasure, man. Nothing but the best of luck, man. And as we go throughout the NBA playoffs and and beyond, hope to have you back. No, no problem, man. As always. Uh, Thanks for having me, man. It's been too long since we spoke, man. You know, sure. you're my guy, man. So, <laughs> Likewise, but, uh, likewise. Thanks for having me, man, and uh, let's do it again. Appreciate it. Ryder University assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill. Now we're going to bring in a guy now. If loving you is wrong, it started back on own Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Make sure you check it out. It is back. And this guy is doing big things on the show. Let's bring him in now. Actor and one of the stars of Tyler Perry's hit series, If Loving You Is Wrong, actor Joel Rush. Joel, how are you, man? Hey, what's going on, brother? How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me again. It's good to be back. For sure. Joel, the season ended as the season ended. We, we saw Eddie, man, up to his old tricks again, trying to take out the rookie cop, man. Does does Eddie ever get right? Oh, man, ain't that the truth, right? Ain't that the truth. Um, it's funny you say that because this during this offseason, I, I text Tyler. I, I mean, there was just, uh, like, after I, tased, after I tased Natalie in her house and pushed the kid down and all that craziness and then took out, tried to take out the rookie cop, you know, Tyler texted me and said, I think it's time to give Eddie a heart. And we came back for filming this season, and I can't give it away, but all I can tell you is he didn't do anything that he said he was going to do in that text. <laughs> so, no, I mean, Eddie Eddie has turned up, man. Eddie has turned up for real. And, and the thing is, it seems like you got to hide the women and children when Eddie's around. Oh, ain't that right? Ain't that the truth? Yeah, so... <laughs> um, I was hoping that there would be some redemption to this guy, so, something um, to make the, the fans say there might be some redeeming qualities about it. But I really, at this point, I think I'm a lost cause. Uh, let me ask you this now. I mean, you basically are a villain. Do you like this role? I have a really good time with this role. I, I, I really okay. do. And for the viewers, th- here's the funny thing about it. The viewers hate this guy, but on set, there's so much drama and there's so many, you know, conversations with the girls and stuff like that. So for the cast and the crew, when we all read the script, that's the comedy hour. When Eddie comes in and does whatever craziness he's going to do that week, that's when we all get a, you know, a chance to break away from, from the drama and kind of get a laugh out of, out of the whole deal on set. So um, have a really good time at work have a really good time at work and could not be blessed with a better cast and crew. I mean, it's truly like working with your family. So much love at that studio. And we're moving to Fort McPherson. Tyler just, you know, he closed on, on Fort McPherson. So we're moving to a studio that's three times the size of Warner Brothers this next year. Wow. 
which is just such a blessing for, for all of us. And, um, you know, God has been good to to not only myself, but, but everybody that's walked through the gates of Tyler Perry Studios. So we are very, very fortunate. But, yeah, um, do I have a good time playing Eddie? Absolutely, man. I, I really do. For sure, as you should. I mean, it, it seems like it would be a pretty fun role to play. Let me, let me yeah. ask you this now. Let me ask you this. Do, do as you're on the streets, do you get the villain type? Do you get that villain love or hate? What, what kind of stuff are you getting on the streets? You know that because I would feel like I would people should lash out at me if I I would I think I would lash out at myself. But it's uh, I get this villain love. I especially uh, I moved to Atlanta this year um, since the show was running and. In this city, especially in Atlanta, people see me and just start dying laughing, man, and, and give me daps and and say, "Man, you are you are one crazy what fill in the blank." But right, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it, it's hilarious, man. It, it, it really is. It, it's building love for sure. Hey, that's good. It's it's good to be loved and hated. At least somebody is thinking of you, right? <laughs> hey, if somebody's talking about me, that I'm doing my job right. Exactly. We're, we're talking to one of the stars of Tyler Perry's hit series, If Love of You Was Wrong, actor Joel Rush. And, and, and let me ask you this now. Obviously, the past few seasons have been great. Where we ended was great. Could this season possibly be any better? Could this be the best ever? In my opinion, and I, I'm not like Eddie in real life, but I am a straight shooter. In my opinion, I was not a big fan of, of the of the first season of the show. I thought it was very, you know, I thought it was drawn out. There wasn't a lot of action. I'm an I'm an action guy in real life. Like I told you, I'm I'm sitting here on the 16th hole playing golf right now. I've been hiking the mountains all morning. So, I I kind of like high action. This show just gets hotter and hotter and hotter as we go on. I mean, Tyler has turned up the heat so much, especially when we just got done filming. I was uncomfortable filming half the stuff. It, it got it got that that dark and that twisted and it is um it's something that's going to get people talking I'll, I'll tell you that one way or another people are going to tune in and social media is going to go on fire with some of the stuff that goes on on this show uh just know i don't condone eddie's behavior i want to put a <laughs> i want to put a precursor out to everybody out there i do not con- joel rush does not condone edward willis <laughs> in any way, shape, or form in real life. But uh, <laughs> tune in, because you, you will you'll be shocked, to say the least. Okay, all right, fair enough. I mean, and that's a good thing you put that disclaimer out there. I was getting a little nervous seeing you on the set. I was thinking maybe Joel Rush did approve some of the things that Eddie did. I mean, it, it just seems Joel so Rush real. Not. <laughs> Let me make that very clear. Let me make that very clear. Joel Rush does not approve of this crazy son of a – yeah. <laughs> I mean, I begged, I, I, I begged Tyler, like, man, you are going to get me shot in public one day, and he gets a kick out of it. So, you know, if there's if there's any complaints, please call Tyler Perry, and and and, and show me grace. Let me ask you this now. I mean, how much has life changed for you since this show? I mean, obviously, this character is, has become very popular, and obviously, this show is highly rated. A lot of people are watching the show. How much has life changed for you? Drastically, just just drastically. That's you know, people see people see characters on television, and once you're on TV, that's that's when you've actually started to live your dream. But nobody sees the the six years in Los Angeles bartending and personal training for people and going from odd job to odd job and barely trying to pay rent and trying to put a smile on your face when you walk into the next audition room. Being an, being an actor in this industry, being a working actor, is something that you really, really have to want. It's just like, I mean, people want to be an astronaut, but you've got to put in the work to do it, and you have to go through the struggle to make it. So I struggled for a long, long time. I don't take one day of this life for granted. Um, if you ever see me get a big head, please tell your listeners to, to smack me. I'm not one of those... <laughs> I'm not one of those guys at all. You know, I was raised on a farm in Indiana to see my family smile, to, to see my mom and my dad this proud. I, 
I, I really cherish every moment. I, I'm thankful for the opportunity that Tyler's given me and the, the other doors that it started to open up in my life. It's, it's a great thing, man. It really is. We're talking to one of the stars of Tyler Perry's hit series, If Loving You Was Wrong, actor Joe Rush. And, and you talked about some of the doors that are opening for you. Talk about some of the doors that's opening up for actor Joe Rush. Well, I have uh, my, my my first script where where I'm going to get an executive producer credit on. I have have a, have a great story that I found uh, based on a true story. Okay. Very very. I, I think we need it socially right now. It, it's 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 just right on time for our social climate, the political climate that we have. There's a lot. In my opinion, there is way too much hate being spread right now, and I'm I'm not a fan of of the Donald Trump world. I'm not a fan of uh, what happened at the Oscars this year. I, I think that we need to focus on the equality that we that we've really really started to reach instead of backpedaling. Uh, police brutality that's been happening, especially down here in the South, and, and me playing a cop on this show that does police brutality is a very touchy subject for me. So. I, I'm executive producing something this year that I'm very excited about. I, obviously, I can't release the details. Um, on top, on top of that, I own a 3D printing company where I have the patent on the the only biodegradable ABS 3D printing filament, which might be a little technical for for some people, but giving back <laughs> to the environment, do really doing some great things in the 3D printing industry, uh, which is just something completely outside of my acting career. But financially, I've been able to support myself and doing some business ventures. So it's um, it's been great, man. It, it, it's really allowed me to use my college education because for a long time I was wondering why I ever got that piece of paper. <laughs> and, and um, yeah, it's just, you know, it, it's it's allowed me to be creative. It's allowed me to, to use my business sense. And um, it's allowed me to really just have fun playing this character and, you know, work for Tyler Perry and Oprah Winfrey, which I have to pinch myself every day saying that I work for those two icons. That's big time. That, that's definitely big time. And, and, you know, going back to the show now, I mean, we, we also have the situation with the baby. I mean, Randall and, and Brad and everybody else associated with that whole situation. I mean, the baby obviously is black. I mean, so yes, just it talk is. about that, <laughs> that storyline, man. I mean, I, I mean, talk about it. Oh man, I mean it's that that storyline is you know it's 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 a twisted storyline but I again, I think Tyler does such a phenomenal job at at shining light on social issues that that need to be addressed at the end of the day. That need to be addressed at the end of the day. And um if people still have a problem with interracial relationships, they need to wake up. It's 2016. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that adultery is cool. I mean, what, what <laughs> Alex and Randall did, I'm not, I'm not putting a stamp of approval on that. But at the same time, especially in my family, I, I have, I have two cousins that are, that are half black, half white. And, you know, I, I know what they've had to go through in school growing up and, and all that. So it's still an issue. It's still very much alive in our country. And, and I, it's a, it's a twisted storyline in our show, but it's something that, Again, light needs to be shined on. And, and you look at the storyline. I mean, if I'm gonna be honest here for a minute, that's 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 a killable offense on some level. I mean, you're talking about your 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 wife with another man. They have a baby. Gosh, I mean, oh, that's it's a mess. Uh, oh, Ma- Maxine is a damn mess. I ain't gonna. <laughs> there's there's so much drama going on in this little town. It's it's insane. The viewer response. Every year has just been more and more viewers and more and more support and more and more love shown to us as actors um, out out in public and man, it's a blessing. But what 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 if you were in that situation, man? What if you know you're with your wife and all of a sudden baby comes out, baby's black? I mean, what, what, what would go through your head in that particular situation? What would be going through your mind? I mean. How would Joe Rush react uh, or something like that? I, 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 I got to be honest with you. I don't know if I would really much care about the, the color of the child okay. as much as my wife cheating on me with my with my friend who was my neighbor. And, right, right. Yeah, I guess it that reminds was, that me was, of a, I said, 
Yeah, I, th- I think there's a Y Clef song called Someone Please Call 911. <laughs> Might want to do that. <laughs> right, right, for sure. I think most of us would in that particular situation. Yeah, yeah. especially right next door, right in my face. For, for a year, yeah, that might cost somebody. That's tough. But I know you're an Indiana boy. Your Colts didn't really end too well for you. I mean, are you excited about the possibilities, and do you have some questions about Andrew Locke? You know, it's, it's sad for me to say that, but I have some major questions about, I mean, I think Locke will bounce back. He's 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 too intelligent to not bounce back. He knows this game too well. But I had so many big expectations going into last year. Why why we went in the off season and tried to pull every former Miami player out of retirement and and bring him to Indianapolis as that was going to be our savior. I, I love Andre Johnson. I love Frank Gore. I don't know why they they brought him to Indianapolis at this stage in, in both their careers, acting like something was going to happen. So, I think we have some big questions at offensive line. We we have questions all over the board, actually. I mean, our our, our defense has some huge question marks as well. I was very happy to see Peyton go out on top uh, for all the things that he's done for for that city and being able to throw against him when I played at Butler, you know, from '99 to '03, and having some interaction with Peyton during those years of my life. Just a, just a stand-up guy. So I was happy how the NFL season ended. Real quickly now, do you regret? Letting Peyton Manning go, or would you have? Are you the way it t- worked out in terms of him going to Denver? No, because if Peyton Manning didn't have regret? that defense in Denver. There wasn't. Okay. He wasn't. He, Peyton Manning didn't win the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning was put in a position to have the number one defense in the league when you know allow him to get that ring. I was just happy to see the guy go out like right. the true champion that he is. Definitely, definitely. So fans. Make sure you check him out each and every Tuesday, Temptation Tuesday, on own, 9 p.m. Eastern. Check this man out. Check everybody out. Check the show out if loving you is wrong. Also, hit him up on Twitter at I am Joel Rush. Support all the great things going on with actor Joel Rush. Joel, a pleasure, man. Nothing but the best of luck. Let's do it again. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me back on the show. Much love. We'll talk to you all. Actor. Joel Rush, pleasure talking to him. Wish him nothing but the best of luck again. Moving forward. Adam LaRoche. You know, you have that whole situation. Adam LaRoche, you know, he couldn't bring his, bring his kid to work. Couldn't bring him to work. Said, you know what? Because I can't bring my child to work, I'm walking away. From $13 million. I'm walking away. And Adam LaRoche said, you know what? He came out today with a statement, you know, I wasn't going to play without my son being around. And then here's the thing. And maybe if, if, you know, he said the White Sox and him, they agreed upon something when he signed there. And, and you know, ultimately, Kenny Williams, the vice president, said, you know, he, he wanted to scale it back a little bit, having a son around and everything. And, and here's the thing. You know, obviously, Adam LaRoche, has made enough money in his career for him to be able to walk away from $13 million. But $13 million is a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Come on. So, you know, that's a lot of money to walk away from. And Adam LaRoche is walking away from all that type of money. And so, but at the end of the day, he's stuck on a principle he believes what he believes, and, 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 you know, he's standing by what he believes, you know. The players seem to support the guy. And, and so I, I think ultimately this is something that will be worked out. I expect Adam LaRoche to be back. I don't think this is this is it. I think they'll work it out. I think they'll come to some type of resolution where he will be able to come back where his child will ever be will able to be around for a little bit, and, and they'll come to a compromise. That's what I believe will happen. We'll see how it does all work all works out. Well, I want to thank Ryan University assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill for stopping by. I also want to thank actor Joe Rush from His Love of You Was Wrong for stopping by. You can listen to this show and all the other shows at blogtalkradio.com slash begin where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at go for it Camp. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great weekend. See you later. 
Take care.